people that work with me have always heard me say, what didn't I ask that I should have, what that I should know? What didn't I ask you that you think is important? Or who else should I talk to about this? And I think I learned early in my training career, don't ask, do you have any questions, right? We ask, what questions do you have? And I think that that translates to building some of those connections and relationships by showing a true interest in the answer and not just doing it just because. Hello and welcome to the Making Better podcast, where we talk about making ourselves, our teams, and our organizations better. Whether you are a business leader, a talent development professional, or an individual contributor, this show will give you actionable insights to help improve your own performance and the performance of those around you. Our guest today is Jennifer Sutherland. Jennifer is the global leader of learning and development at Trustwave, but that is just the latest role in a very interesting and non-linear career. She has done numerous jumps, not just between companies, but between entire industries. In this discussion, you will learn techniques for getting to know a new industry, learn how to build connections to increase the impact and respect of L&D in your organization, some ways to focus your efforts to make sure L&D is having an impact, and so much more. But before we get into that discussion, if this is your first time listening to the show, I need to remind you to subscribe to make sure you never miss a future episode. And if you were already subscribed, then I would just humbly request that you share this show with at least one other person, because that, after all, is how we grow. I can't tell you how much it means to me. So with that, let's get into the discussion with Jennifer Sutherland. Jen, when I look at your... LinkedIn profile, your background, one of the things that pops out to me first and foremost is you've been in a lot of different industries, which is which is a challenge for a lot of people. You know, like I, I myself, I, I, I've worked with a lot of different companies and I've been jumping around a little bit, but predominantly I've been kind of in the, in the aerospace industry. And I think that's true for a, a lot of, of folks. When you get started in a new business or a new industry, how, how do you, how do you get started? That's a great question. It's one of the things that I am proudest of in my career, but also looks really weird on a resume when you look at it. (laughs) And to me, it's about, I really immerse myself in an industry. I absorb as much as I can. I will join professional organizations, subscribe to newsletters and blogs. Um, I will follow competitive businesses on LinkedIn so I can see what they're doing and see the terminology that they use. I follow thought leaders in the industry on LinkedIn, um, but I've also tried to be very vulnerable. I like to ask a lot of questions. I play the I'm new card for as long as I possibly can. Uh, I like that to is my favorite that card to play. <laughs> I know. I know. When I was in sales, I think I was always new, no matter how long I was working. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, because most people try, like, they like to help people. Um, and always follow up after meetings, ask questions, get clarification. But... I think the way I took all that information to actually make it successful is found ways to tie what I was learning to what I already knew. So, for example, I worked at a health insurance company. I'd never done that before, but I had health insurance. So as I was learning, I was like, what do I already know that I can tie this to and then fill in some of those gaps? Um, I worked at a bank for a while. I'd never done that before, but I had a bank account. So what did I already know? So tying some of that together really helped. Um, it's a learning 
strategy in general. So I think my L&D background helps in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's like really just being naturally curious and embracing that curiosity and seeing where it takes you. But to me, that's that's the fun of it. I really enjoy learning those new industries and kind of seeing what's out there, what's new, what's different, and then tying it all together all at the end. That that absolutely makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think it can the difficulty that people I think often run into is this idea that um, is, you know, the people in the industry who have been there forever or the experts, they are kind of maybe subconsciously incentivized to make it seem as complicated as possible. You know, everybody's their unique uh, snowflake and, you know, thing, things like that. They want you, everybody wants to be special, but um, we're all still people. Uh, uh, there's only so many ways to organize a company. There's only so many ways to, to, to do a job. And um, so that makes a lot of sense. It's all about, uh, you know, I always think of, you know, you know, since you're in learning as well, we're all in learning, you know, it's all about mental models in the brain. You have these mental models that help you understand the world. And really, I think the hallmark of expertise is getting more and more generalizable mental models, like the the bigger that they can, they, they can get the better. And yeah, that, that immersion makes, makes so much sense. One, one thing that you mentioned though, at the very beginning there, you said how it can, it's the thing you're most proud of, but it looks the strangest on a, on a resume. Yeah. Specifically for people who are who are looking to change industries, how do you approach that when you're talking to people? Because based on everything you just said, those diverse experiences are an asset, right? And I think it's interesting because yeah. in the military, when I was in the, the military, especially on the officer side, values diversity of experiences yeah. and that officers are frequently being moved, you know, every couple of years to domains that are completely outside of their expertise, because that's the goal. The higher somebody moves up in the military, the broader we want their experience to be. And so when I left the military, I was really surprised. I was like, oh, wow, these, when I'm looking at these job wrecks, like, unless you've worked at a nuclear plant for 12 years, they don't want you, you know, like they right. want this very specific experience. So how have you successfully kind of convinced people that 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 variety is an asset and and not something that's holding you back? I think that that is really a key question. And I, if you think about most CEOs that you can think of that are really successful, they didn't just come through operations just standalone. Yeah. They weren't just in finance. They did do marketing and they, they were in operations. They were in sales. They have all of those different components. And I think that that's critical because the more you can tie all of that together, the, the more it makes sense. So for me, I have absolutely had a nonlinear career path. And when I look at that nonlinear career, um, it can look um, like it doesn't make sense to somebody else. And to me, it's really about that diversity of experience because every little thing I've done pulls together different things to get me to where I'm at now. So as I do this, as I do this, I kind of pull it together. So recognizing that and embracing that, I think is getting a little more common now. There's even, you know, companies are rewriting job descriptions and saying something in there. If you don't have all these skills, that's okay. We still want you to apply. Yeah. Um, you know, they're rewriting it so that it says, or equivalent military experience. Uh, those things are all helpful because it, it's helping people like me or people that want to take a different career path to say, oh, I can I can try that. I can do that differently. So 
when I'm trying to explain all of that, it's really about taking those nuggets of what I've learned and talk about that diversity of experience and how it can benefit somebody else. Because it's, it's, I don't want to negate somebody working at the same company for a very long time. There is a wealth of knowledge to that, that historical knowledge. Yeah. Uh, but there's also value in somebody that hasn't worked there for a long time and brings together some uh, new ideas and, and new thoughts and ask questions that maybe haven't been asked in a while. So it's really, in my mind, a very um, sort of synonymous explanation or argument similar to just diversity in general. Uh, the more diverse an organization yes. is and the yes. higher, the more successful they are, the more profitable, the, you know, research says it. So yes. if I can come into a business and I have the diversity of experience that I can apply somewhere, that's the benefit. You know, everybody's kind of getting that benefit of all of those other ideas and, and thoughts that I've had. And hopefully yeah, companies I, are starting to embrace that differently. I, I think that's right. And I think it, it is, you know, as the conversation around DEI evolves and, you know, right now we're kind of in the middle of a backlash with DEI yeah. and, you know, there's, there's so much discussion there, but really at its at its core it, it's meant to kind of come back to diversity of experiences and thought if everybody on your team has the same experiences chances are they're going to have the same basic set of ideas and then you're just not going to be as innovative you're not going to you know expect the unexpected you're not going to um, be as prepared for for the future and i think it's interesting this this has really reminded me of a conversation i had two days ago with somebody who's starting a uh uh, a tech company, they're building a, a, a AI co-pilot for um, like care man healthcare care managers. Okay. And the discussion centered around how really what this co-pilot is meant to do is it's meant to, you know, take on the load of kind of the administrative burden, the factual burden, the memory burden, so that the person can do what only people can do and employ their human skills, employ their empathy in empathy, the in yeah. the relationships, you know. And I and I do think to your point of all the rewriting of all these job descriptions, it's it's because we're entering a world where that's becoming more and more normal. You're able to really, you know, maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, like, yes, like you just needed to have the facts and they needed to be in your brain. And there was nowhere else to go get them. But as we, you know, one with computers and now with AI, it some of that knowledge that used to have to be learned can now just be instantly accessed. And so now it's how can you put that not that information to use practically, which might require different experiences. Absolutely. I, I've worked uh, in the call center outsourcing industry for a few years. Yeah. And it was great to see how it evolved to use things like AI chatbots to say, okay, if you have basic questions, here is a, you know, a knowledge inventory that we can pull from and answer those. It's the nuanced stuff. And how many times do we call and we go, yeah, none of those options you just gave me are what I'm actually trying to do. <laughs> like, I'm not one through nine. Yeah. I, I'm a combination of <laughs> yeah. two, six, seven. Yeah. So which one do I do? And so that's, absolutely where the human knowledge comes in and so that that diversity and that idea of all of those things that that we bring to the table it is not something that uh can really look super packaged somewhere yeah. there's all those sort of extenuating elements to it which is what's fun about you know working with other people and 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 being a part of businesses like those are the things that you uh learn from and kind of drive that energy 
Yeah, exactly. So then, so that we kind of chatted about getting into organizations. Once you, again, you know, since you've moved around a lot, how do you think about getting connected inside that organization? One of the biggest, you know, pieces of discussion that's feels like always present in the learning development space is that, you know, learning and development, we're, we're off, we're siloed, we're not connected with the business. How do you, how do you get past that? Because the first thing you need to do is start building those connections in order to serve the business, you have to know them. So how do you go about doing that? So I'm obviously very shy and I don't like to talk to people. So it's really hard for me. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think kind of going back to this idea of like a natural curiosity and wanting to learn and wanting to ask questions, but just raising your hand and saying, can I attend some team meetings just to sit in the background, just to observe, just to start hearing some of the knowledge and, you know, whether it's like team town halls or individual smaller team meetings, listening in and having some of those um just uh, sort of by osmosis learning. And I know most people hate meetings. I actually like to be invited to meetings. I have a little bit of FOMO, so that works for me. I like to be invited and included. So I'm like, Ooh, what's that about? What's that about? And then following up and asking a bunch of questions and just sort of embracing that. And I think because we are L&D professionals, one of the things that is a tool of our trade is needs analysis or needs assessment or whatever terminology you want to use. I sort of translate that to when I start working somewhere and asking those questions before I even say, oh, how can I help solve things for you as, you know, your L&D expert over here? Before I get to the solutions, it's, it's how, let me learn. Let me learn this business. Let me learn what you're doing in your team. And um, my current role, this one is very much outside my comfort zone. These are brilliant people that I work with. There's no way I'm going to be able to know exactly what they do day to day what the problems they're solving and how they interact with customers and the skills that they need to be successful in their own career path, that I get. So if I can ask those questions and sort of embrace that natural L&D um, process we go through and sort of do that needs analysis, that helps. Um, I also have a sales background, so I'm naturally just going to ask a lot of questions. Uh, I'm kind of like a toddler. You know, you keep saying, why, why, why? Why? Uh, the Socratic method, you know, just asking. But one of my favorite phrases is more of what else or who else? People that work with me have always heard me say, mm. what didn't I ask that I should have, what that I should know? What mm -hmm. didn't I ask you that you think is important? Or who else should I talk to about this? And I think I learned early in my training career, don't ask, do you have any questions? Right? We ask, what questions do you have? Yeah, and I think that yeah. that translates to building some of those connections and relationships by showing a true interest in the answer and not just doing yeah. it just because. I'm um, also, you know, asking for a company buddy or if they have mm. a formal mentor program, but just kind of finding who in the company can help you learn a little bit and trying to go across those lines. L&D is a very interesting place to be in an organization. We're a support team, but it's different than a support team like finance, which can very much operate in sort of its own world and not yeah. really know what those invoices are about or care about what team meeting those expenses are from. Yeah. L&D is a support function, but it needs to be embedded in the organization. So building those relationships and letting people know, I truly am here to help you. And I'm not just going to send you compliance training that you have to do once a year so we can check a box. That yeah. comes across as ingenuity, that that um, 
that true interest really comes across and in embracing that. I think people come into L&D roles because of our interest in learning, our interest in finding out new things. I just think we're just seekers of knowledge in general. Um, and so if we can capitalize on that when we are joining a new organization and building those relationships and, and kind of pulling those forward a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that I, I love the the idea of just kind of inviting yourself to meetings. I think that's a great way to get in. I remember when I was at SpaceX, one of the my favorite things that I miss the most at SpaceX is um, you could you know I'd just look up uh, PowerPoint presentations on the latest you know the, uh, on updates of you know whatever cool project is going on just to keep up to speed. And it was so cool to to be able to see kind of track the progress of different of different things and see it really from the inside. However, you know, one thing that I always struggled with there and that I've struggled with a lot of organizations, I'm sure a lot of people struggle with is <clears throat> maybe they're in a team where they're kind of meant to serve the whole company, but there's no way they could possibly actually serve the whole whole company. Did you have you ever been in that position where you kind of had to pick, okay, who am I going to really target to to get to know really well? And and how did how did you make that decision, I guess? So I, in my career, have had some really interesting L&D team structures. Uh, my previous role to this, I had a team of 180 people. So we were able to be much yeah. more sort of like the fingers and spiders in the yes. organization. My current team, there's two of us. And to determine where we're going to spend our time is one of my main jobs, right? Prioritizing, strategizing. Yep. Yep. And so... I think this definitely ties back to some of the things we're talking about from a building relationships and connections perspective is L&D has to be a part of the business and understand the business objectives and outcomes, because that's going to tell you where to spend your time. Where's sort of the biggest bang for your buck, sort of the, yeah. uh, like an L&D version of like a high risk, high reward, <laughs> like where should I spend my time? Because this is going to help the company meet their goals either sooner, faster, what have you. So is it driving revenue, meaning you have to work with salespeople, or is it to get processes more optimized because maybe it's a smaller company and now you need to do more with less? Uh, so where is that going to be? And as depending on where you're at in the organization, as far as where does L&D sit, that's going to really determine how you have those conversations and who's going to help you drive that. You know, yeah. is, is it your leader that's going to have to give you some of that information and tell you what's happening at the highest level, or can you draw that out from people, but spending your time doing things that are fun or interesting or adding additional um, logos to videos because they look good. Is that going to help drive the revenue or is that going to improve the processes? Probably not. So where do you need to spend that time? And, and asking those questions and those connections help build that. I mean, operations, where are you going to be? Sales, marketing, where's that, where's, where's your energy need to be driven uh, is really part of all those conversations and making sure we're having that seat at the table so we can ask those questions and not, not be considered, eh. <laughs> oh, it's just L&D. That's just, they're just going to put out yeah. more training than to us. Yeah. I think like, I, let me do my job better. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. I think I remember I came up with a, you're, you're making me remember a framework that I came up with 
a few several months ago, kind of of how to think about this when you come into a new organization. I'd love to get your get your thoughts on this because basically what I was thinking of is if you're and this is assuming you're in kind of like a, a central role. You're not like you're not like assigned right. to a particular part of the business. So you're right. maybe you're in HR or something. Uh, best case scenario, learning is already respected in the organization. And you can just kind of see the company's primary goals and then say like, we want to help achieve those. And then you're, you're uh, respected enough that they say, okay, great. Like let's go drive revenue or decrease uh, uh, quality defects or, or whatever the main focus is. And you can go drive there. If you're not already respected at the highest level and you can't just go after those priorities, then find the kind of highest person that you can in the company who all, who does respect learning. Like maybe they came from the military, so they're used to a lot of training. Maybe they came from an organization like GE, where they're just used to lots and lots of, of employee development. So you kind of find the, the highest ranking uh, person you, you can find that it can be your ally, right? That, that has a just instinctual belief in the value of learning, even if the organization as a whole doesn't yet understand the value of learning. And then if, you, if, you, if that too fails you, then... The next place you can go is go from where you are and just go up the chain to the first non-learning person. Maybe, you know, and very often that's going to be like the, the head of HR and figure out what they care about and then solve their issues. So that's kind of like you go from like the biggest, you know, highest business level goals that you can to the goals of a specific director or, or VP that's out in the business to basically the goals of your boss and solve theirs. So then they at least recognize that you're doing good work and can start to kind of champion you around to the rest of the organization. Is that, I don't know. What, what do you think of that? I love of, that. Yeah. I love that. And that kind of ties into my, uh, one of the questions I always ask when I'm looking at moving to a new organization is I ask about the learning culture. What is it like? What is yeah. the current association with learning? What's the, um, the expectation of the learning field and are there learning champions because if there aren't that is definitely an uphill battle do they just feel like they need to put somebody in that position because there has to be somebody in lnd to do the you know the compliance stuff and the process and all of that or are they truly trying to move the needle or is it maintenance and all of those are options right yeah. they, they lnd needs to fill all of that but where do you want to go? And so how, knowing how to drive that. And I love sort of that second tier you talked about with finding somebody who is a champion of learning, somebody who can be an ally, because once a learning person can build credibility in an organization, I am never walking into an organization, the expert of whatever they do. Yeah. I think that's one of the things with changing industries. I am so like... <laughs> I'm never going to know that role or that company as well as the people that do it operationally. Yeah, yeah. But when you can find somebody that understands how I can supplement or improve in some way, like building that credibility goes so far. Um, so I love that framework that you came up with. And I've always said in my career, my job is to make my boss look good. 100%. So even if it's like, rewriting some forms that they use or creating their PowerPoint deck for their senior level meetings. Let me start there. Like I almost always, because I like planning parties to some extent, I 
normally jump in and start whatever, like run the town halls or whatever sort of large team meetings. That's normally my first like. And you're very hey. introverted. You're, you just. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that introvert comes out. I was like, can I do that? Can I make this a little better and do this a little more interactive? And that's normally one thing I can take off my boss's plate that just yep. starts to pull the rest of it together. So I, I love that I love framework that. and I love that approach. I mean, obviously you want to start with a CEO and if they're a big fan of learning and it's great. a great learning culture, great. Yeah. But that's great. the ideal and not always the reality. Yeah, I think, you know, it is true that you do need to go with the approach, especially if you're starting from a place that that isn't or learning isn't respected where just nothing is is too is beneath you. You know, I know I made the mistake, I've made the mistake in my career where I had all these big ideas of like what I wanted learning to be, but the organization just wasn't there yet. And I think most importantly is I remember years ago a senior leader telling me a story about somebody kind of in um, in like the compensation and benefits, somebody on the compensation and benefits team mm-hmm. inside an organization, they're the head of compensation and benefits for an organization. And they really wanted to do, you know, oh, like we can do job leveling, we can figure out how we can use different compensation styles in order to motivate people and all this stuff. And, you know, why, why can't I do any of this stuff? And the VP just looked at him and said like, look, our, our people aren't getting paid on time. Right. Like, like until yeah. you can figure out payroll consistently, we're not going to yeah. trust you with all this other stuff. And right. so I think it is important to, it, it's, it's a delicate balance of making sure you get just like the foundation basic elements done and done well yeah. without getting sucked into, oh, that's all we do. Exactly. Like, right. I mean, that is probably the biggest risk of any LD team is becoming order takers yeah because when you're just the person that they go we need this and you're like okay i'll do that and i package it and I give it back to you that is a really hard place to get out of so even if that is somebody's scenario i think one of the things i would suggest is at least add some structure around that process and some internal coaching opportunities around the process so even if you are absolutely still paying orders come up with a training charter, get a training request form, get yes. documentation, have a formal review process, like at least start doing that incremental change so that the next few times they come back to you, they're like, oh, okay, I see how you've made this better and easier for us. And you're like, yes, I have. Yeah. Maybe next time we can have this functionality or do this additional resource. So yeah, because yeah. it, 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 it's, I've been in both companies. I've been in L&D is just, we're here. We just we're told to do something, and it's really hard to get out of that sort of pit. Um, yeah, but we can. Yeah, yeah, and I and I do think to exactly what you said. I think for a lot of organizations, the the first step in that is getting an intake process created. You know, I mean, I did a whole, we did a link, I did a LinkedIn live last week about this exact thing um, where um, you just create, you know, you use some system that your company already has. Maybe they're already in monday.com or, or Trello or Jira or something, throw a form in front of it, keep it a very simple form. You know, you don't, the, the, I think the worst way that L and D people mess this up is by going from zero to a hundred where they're like, it, you, they're order taker, things come in, they say yes, they say yes. And then the first step to change it is, well, we need to have an hour long meeting for every request. And I'm going to ask, and it's like, like, you, you, like, to your point, you have to make these incremental changes so that you kind of almost transform things without people realizing it, where they, you know, because exactly. it happens over time. Patience. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, one thing you mentioned earlier, you mentioned you've, you've been, you've led all kinds of different teams, different sizes. I, I am endlessly fascinated by how learning and development gets organized in, in, in companies. Um, I guess at the most basic level, just looking internally, how would you break down the different roles in L&D? I think this is something that's important for us leaders to understand, for especially people looking for jobs, because it's, I mean, I guess I haven't necessarily looked at a lot of other, org- a lot of other functions, but it's, it seems messy. <laughs> like there's just yeah. a lot of different titles. And so let's get, get away from titles, but what are the big themes of like functions within L and D that you see? I wish that one, some tra- training professional organization would sort of standardize this in a really succinct way that yeah. we can all use industry-wide. But until yeah. that happens, oh, we're all special way- snowflakes, so we can't we can't do that. It's, it, <laughs> exactly. it's well, different in my company. Really different because of my <laughs> circumstance. Oh, yes. if I had a dollar for every time. Uh, <laughs> and it, it it is a great big question because I probably get maybe two to three requests a month of people that through my network or somebody refers them to me is like I'm interested in L and D or I want to transfer or I'm interested in this. Tell me more. So. I always start with, I think in my mind, there are four general sort of functional areas. To me, it's an instructional designer, which can be as informal as somebody who just creates PowerPoint. And I don't mean just creates, but somebody that's not doing true sort of e-learning um, instructional design, but the, the person that's putting the content together, that takes the source material, that's meeting with the SME, the subject matter expert, and designs it in some sort of engaging, effective, deliverable. So the instructional yeah. designer is sort of one function. The other function, which I think most people think of, is the facilitator or the trainer, and that's the person that's sort of the face of the content. And their real function is to understand how to sort of convert or translate knowledge to learning, which normally takes a lot of different skills, classroom management and mm-hmm. um, interaction and um, the ability to ask a lot of questions, somebody who's comfortable with silence. Uh, mm, but the facilitator or trainer to me <laughs> is, yeah. is number two. Um, I'd say number three, I'm going to kind of combine a few things, but the support functions. So to me, that mm-hmm. sort of category could include um, like the a training coordinator or somebody might call it like a generalist. The person who's providing administrative support. So it might be sending out completion reports after training or the person providing certificates or um, submitting continuing education to some third party or something. So that would be one. Um, The analysts. And I've been lucky enough to work on some training teams that have a sort of dedicated data analyst or um, somebody that has that as part of their function where they're the ones that focus on like metrics and reporting and really sort of determining the raw data and sort of making it make sense to tell the story about L&D, maybe the ROI, things like that. And then I say the third thing that's sort of a part of that support function would be like a system admin. Um, So the person that's in the LMS, that's in the learning experience platform, that's actually maybe doing registrations, adding new content, making sure the e-learning is getting uploaded, all of that. And then the fourth person would be the leader or the manager of the team. The person who is responsible for strategy and prioritizing, which I think is a huge part of that role, 
um, thought leadership, sort of organizing the team structure, seeing what makes sense, budget if possible, system selection or management or ownership, um, project management, as informal or formal as that might need to be. So I'd say those are the four areas, yep. but very often there's combinations within those. Oh, <laughs> so. totally. I think, yeah, I, I think a lot of times, especially in small, probably for your four, for your first, you know, at least three hires, you're on a, on an L and D team, you're hiring people who are willing and able to do all of that. Yep. You know, you yeah. you need them to be able to just kind of touch a little bit of everything, and it's not until yeah, like hire four, five, six that you can be like, you know what, I need an I need an instructional designer, and that's yeah. what they are going to do. But in, until you have at least, it, it kind of goes back to that. You need to have that foundation of you need to do the basic the basics um, before yeah. you can do the more advanced stuff. What do you think in, in those four buckets? Where do you put something like? I guess you'd call it like an L and D business partner or something. The person who is fully having those strong relationships with parts of the business um, to help kind of under, I guess, I guess that would kind of fall under that like leader manager, that strategy of like, wh what are we going to focus on? Is that, is this, is that where you think? Yeah, I, I absolutely. And I've worked on teams where I think it didn't work out. Sometimes it wasn't successful because sometimes, um, the functional area would say, oh, the instructional designer needs to be that person that's tied to the business. But mm -hmm. the instructional designer, um, they work with the subject matter expert, but I think that's a different relationship. It's a different conversation. Yeah. And so to me, I'd say it is the leader. The leader has to be the one that has to build that out and understand the priorities because I, I, I'm sure nobody else has ever had this where you have two or three competing priorities and it's the most important priority <laughs> no, no. to that person, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, somebody has to let that sit on their shoulders. And I don't know that that's an instructional designer responsibility. Yeah. Um, I think that's right. The, I, the, yeah. I, typically ID work is it's, it's very, I would almost describe it as like a heads down role. Like you're, you're yeah, very, very introverted sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Very in the your weeds. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And yeah. I think the people that gravitate to those roles don't necessarily want that responsibility of having those deeper relationships with the business. They like to know it so that they can create really good design and really yeah. good content, but they don't want to be the one that's like, Oh, so you've got this new thing coming out. Let's strategize like the marketing, you know, component of that. They're, they're not going to probably enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that makes a lot of sense, man. How did, how did a half hour fly by so fast, Chad? <laughs> this is this is crazy. Because <laughs> I'm so quiet and I don't like to talk. You d you don't like to talk. I know. I'm just having to pull all of this stuff out of you. So, um, as as we kind of move towards the end, there, there's a couple questions that we that we always like to end with. Um, first is what is one book or podcast that everyone should read or or listen to, and why? Hmm. So podcast, I'm going to kind of cheat. And I'm okay. going to say the TED podcast because cool. yep. it's kind of a little bit of everything to everybody. Everything. Yep. I absolutely love TED. If you get a chance to see a TEDx in your local or like city, go do yep. it. On Samsung TV, there's actually a TED channel. So if I'm sitting there and I'm reading or doing something, I will have the TED channel on and just let that settle in. So to me, that's that's the nice podcast that'll say all things all people. Because I remember I used to listen to the TED Radio Hour and I just loved how it was like a TED Talk but then like 
all the other stuff that they couldn't fit into the TED talk. You just get you get the background. You get you, you just get so much more. It is. It's just fascinating, and it's even if you're listening to it passively, that stuff it it yeah. sinks in, and it, it just triggers. Oh yeah, I want to learn a little bit more about that. I'm going to go back to that later. So uh, that's my cheat answer. Book wise, I would say Daring Great by Greatly by um Brene Brown. Yeah, that's a good one. Just a big fan. Excellent. I love it. Um you've probably you've mentioned a few skills throughout this conversation. So when you look back at your career, what is one skill that you think has really helped you be the most successful? So every year I pick a one word of the year and it it changes from year to year to year. Love it. But what I would say is the one skill that sort of uh, foundational for all of that is my curiosity and my desire to learn and find out more. I remember when Da Vinci, this is probably supposed to be a speed round, so my apologies, but uh, okay. when Da Vinci Code came out in like 2002, 2003, I just remember I read it right away and I was just fascinated. And I remember starting to like fold down pages of like, oh, I want to learn more about that. I want to look up that. I want to look. And then the whole book was being folded down and it was just getting cumbersome. And so I took a legal pad and I wrote down three pages worth of things I wanted to look at, which triggered me buying more books about some of those topics. And I just think that that has really helped me create the career that I have today because I'm constantly like, oh, what's more about that? Oh, what's that? I want to learn more about that. And I just kind of keep growing and moving towards whatever that is that that thirst for knowledge takes me to. That's awesome. I love it. And we've touched on a lot of different things here from the talent development perspective, but you know, you've, you've seen a lot of different organizations. What do you see as the most common opportunity for organizations to improve their talent development? I think the biggest opportunity is to recognize that the organization has to find a way to work as one unit, even if every single function, business area, operational team is at the optimum performance if they aren't going in the same direction and working together yeah it's gonna fall apart so to me that that talent development has to be a comprehensive look and approach at a company's goals objectives and turning that into success so make sure those silos out there which silos is sort of a you know it's overused but yeah. trying to understand how to make sure that those functions are all driving towards the same place and working together to get there so that's not um, counterintuitive. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it, and you know I've had the extreme pleasure to work in a lot of high performing organizations, and the most common problem I see it's almost like it's there's a there's a correlation of like the higher performing organization, the more they struggle with exactly what and and it's like the the thing holding them back is siloing, and that's why the um, one of the number one leadership books that I always recommend to folks is Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal because it's ex it's exactly that. It's like we have four or five teams that are all just like firing on all cylinders individually, but they just keep getting in each other's way. And so how to create what what they call in the book a shared consciousness am amongst right. everybody. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's an it's a interesting call out, for, especially from the talent development perspective. I like that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for like I said, like this conversation flew by. <laughs> I can't believe how uh, I think we covered a lot of ground. I think people will get have a lot of interest in just kind of this this idea because especially right now, like there's a lot of movement in our industry. There's a lot of people that are moving around, and I think hopefully 
through this discussion, people got a few tidbits of first, when you're talking, when you're looking at organizations, some different factors to think about when you're when you're looking at those organizations. And then when you join a new organization, certainly to take many of many pages from your book of, okay, how do we how do how do I get moving in this new industry, new business, whatever it is, to make both myself successful and and L and D successful in this organization? So, thank you so much, Jen. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you liked the discussion, make sure to hit like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. As a reminder, if your team is struggling keeping up with the training development demands of your organization, we want to help. Better Everyday Studios is a full-service instructional design team that can help you with everything from ideation to actual content creation and delivery. Please reach out to us using the link in the episode notes below. Have a great day.